Our sermon text today is Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 20. I'll be reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version. Give ear to the reading of God's Word. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 20. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went down to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you, you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told to them. This ends the reading of of the word of God. Well, in in verse 10 of our text, the angel of the Lord told the shepherds that he came to bring them, quote, good news of great joy. And so today we want to spend some time thinking about just a few of the things that make this good news so good. And and why why this good news is such a cause for great joy for all those who believe in Jesus Christ. What is it about the birth of Jesus that we celebrate every year at Christmas time that makes it such good news of great joy? Well, the first thing that we see here in Luke chapter 2 is that the birth of Jesus Christ in Bethlehem those many years ago, the first thing is that it means that God is always true to his promises. The birth of Jesus there in Bethlehem demonstrates for us that God is always true to his promises, and that is good news of great joy. His word can always be trusted, and no matter what, his promises to his people are always trustworthy no matter how things around us may seem to be contrary to them. Our circumstances sometimes make it seem as if God's word is going to fail, but it never does. Well, how does our text teach this to us? In verses 1 to 2, it says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Well, Caesar issued a decree there. And what was the decree? It says that all the world should be registered. Well, Luke actually mentions this registration four different times in the first five verses. And that decree that he issued in verse 1 
Uh, wh what was it for? Who did it apply to? Well, it says all the world. Now, the phrase there has the idea of all the inhabited earth or the entire civilized world. So the entire civilized world basically was thought to be under the power uh, of Caesar. And not only was Caesar Augustus uh, measuring the extent of his kingdom, but this registration was almost certainly for the purpose of taxes. Well, some things never change, do they? So in fact, you know, think about it. That's how the King James Version actually renders that same word. The word the ESV renders as register or registration. The King James Version of verse 1 actually says that Caesar's decree was, quote, that all the world should be taxed. Well, Caesar's decree reached all the way to Galilee and Judea, and even, as verse 4 says, even to the city of David. Well, this means that Judah and Israel were under the thumb of foreign power. They had to obey the census decree and even pay taxes to a foreign power. Think of the words of Jesus in Matthew 22, 21, where he says, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. He was talking about the coins. The image was on the coin. So he's talking about taxes, money. And he says, and render to God the things that are God's, the things that belong to God. So things, you know, apparently, you know, seemingly couldn't get any lower for Israel. You know, can you even imagine a less likely time for Israel to actually expect to see God fulfill his long-awaited promise of the Messiah and the deliverer of his people? And yet, think about it. What was the result of that decree of Caesar Augustus? Look again at verses 4 to 7. It says, And Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So the decree of the great and powerful Caesar Augustus resulted in Joseph and Mary traveling to Bethlehem at a time when they probably never would have chosen to travel anywhere, much less all the way to Bethlehem, because... As the King James Version of verse 5 puts it, Mary was, quote, great with child. I mean, her baby was due at any time. Now, why Bethlehem? Why does that matter? Was something wrong with Nazareth? Uh, no, it's because of all the places where the promised Messiah could have been born, the Lord God Almighty had issued a decree of his own, a promise and a prophecy that the Redeemer would be born in a particular place, in Bethlehem. In Micah 5.2, it is written, it says, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from of old, from ancient days. Now you might remember that in Matthew's gospel, in his account of the birth of Christ, when the Magi or wise men came to King Herod, looking for the newborn king of the Jews so that they could worship him, Matthew 2, 2, uh, he, Herod, that is, was, it says he was troubled and all Israel with him. Uh, and it says that he inquired of the chief priests and the scribes about where the Christ was to be born. Uh, and what was their answer to Herod? They told Herod that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem, that the king of the Jews was to be born in Bethlehem. And how did they figure that out? How did they determine that? Well, they found their answer in Micah 5, verse 2. Now, the decree of Caesar Augustus is the decree that we explicitly see in our text. But his decree isn't the real main decree in view here, is it? His decree was small potatoes here. All the decree of 
of Caesar Augustus could really do was serve the purposes of Almighty God in fulfillment of his, of his decree. Caesar's decree, unwittingly to him, served to fulfill the far greater decree of the one who is the real king over all the world, God himself and his king, his Messiah, his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. In his book, The Invisible Hand, which is all about the providence of God, R.C. Sproul writes this, he says, The New Testament does not regard the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem as a fortuitous accident of history. It was not by chance that the decree of Caesar Augustus, or sorry, that of Augustus Caesar, rather, forced Mary and Joseph to journey to this village. Behind the political power of Caesar was the transcendent providence of God. Completely unknown to Augustus himself, his decree was but a tool in the hand of God to ensure that the truth of the Old Testament prophecy be made manifest and that his word should come to pass. So the birth of Jesus Christ in Bethlehem is good news of great joy because, first, in it, we see that God is always true to his promises. The son of David promised way back in 2 Samuel 7.12 would be born in the city of David, mentioned twice in our text, verses 4 and 11. And he was born in the city of David as foretold and promised in Micah 5.2. And he was born of a virgin as prophesied in Isaiah 7.14. And many other such promises and prophecies throughout the Old Testament scriptures were fulfilled in and by and through Jesus Christ and him alone. So never doubt the word of God. Rest upon his promises at all times. Take God at his word and never forget that all the promises of God find their yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Well, the second thing about the birth of Jesus Christ in Bethlehem that makes it good news of great joy is that it demonstrates for us the depths of humility and suffering that the Son of God and Lord of glory himself was willing to endure for our salvation, for the salvation of sinners like you and me. Notice that no less than three times Luke mentions for us that he was lying, quote, in a manger. Three times in our text it mentions the manger that Jesus was laying in, verse 7, verse 12, and again in verse 16. Now that, that should get our attention, shouldn't it? This should kind of shock us. The Lord of glory took on flesh and was born as a baby. As if that wasn't bad enough, he was laid in a manger. And why was that? Because there was no place for them in the inn. J.C. Ryle writes the following. He says, we see here the grace and condescension of Christ. Had he come to save mankind with royal majesty surrounded by his father's angels, it would have been an act of undeserved mercy. Had he chosen to dwell in a palace with, great, with power and great authority, we should have reason enough to wonder but to become poor as the very poorest of mankind, and lowly as the lowliest that. This is a love that passes knowledge. It is unspeakable and unsearchable. Never let us forget that through his humili this humiliation, Jesus has purchased for us a title to glory. Through his life of suffering as well as his death, he has obtained eternal redemption for us. All through his life he was poor for our sakes, from the hour of his birth to the hour of his death. And through his poverty, we are made rich. You know, no wonder the heavenly host praised God, those angels, and said, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. You know, King Jesus may not have looked like much of a king at the time, laying there in that manger as a baby, but he is the one 
whose dominion will be, as Psalm 72, verse 8 tells us, from sea to sea. And as Philippians 2 tells us, one day every knee will bow before him and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. When you consider the birth of Jesus, remember the humility of the Son of God in his incarnation. Consider again what Christ did and suffered in order to save sinners. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, it's the passage that Ryle refers to there at the end of the quote that I just read. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Now that rough bed, that manger, was a precursor to the rough cross of wood that he bore on our behalf to pay the price for our sins against the holy God. And so if you do not yet know peace with God, turn to Jesus Christ by faith even now, and you too will know the real joy of Christmas, the joy of forgiveness and eternal life in him. And notice one more thing. Notice the lowly estate of the people to whom this good news of great joy first came. Who was it that the angels came to? to tell about this good news of great joy. Just a bunch of shepherds, verse 8 says. The King James Version puts it this way in verse 8. It says, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, Joseph, Mary, and the baby Jesus found no room in the inn, uh, but they were relegated to bedding down in the elements with the livestock. Maybe it was in a barn, maybe it was somewhat out of doors. But even, you know, you think about it, even then the Lamb of God, that, that John the Baptist called Jesus in John one twenty nine, even then the Lamb of God was treated according to that title. He had to stay with the livestock and even sleep in a manger. Well, the shepherds too, as the King James points out, of verse 5 there, or verse 8 rather, the, king, the, the shepherds too were abiding in the field with the livestock, with the sheep. And yet the, new, the good news of the birth of the Savior came to them as well. So the gospel is not for the worthy, for none of us are worthy of hearing it. The gospel is not for the high and mighty, for it's for the lowliest of sinners. Remember that the angel of the Lord told those shepherds that the good news of great joy would be, quote, verse 10, for all the people, it's for everyone who will believe. Well, the third and the last thing that you want to focus our attention on here today is that the birth of Jesus Christ is good news of great joy, precisely because it was, as verse 11 says, the birth of a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The birth of of Jesus is not about sweet sentiment, but about the Savior of sinners. It is about the Lord who saves. Listen again to the words of good news of great joy that the angels proclaim, or the angel rather, proclaimed to those shepherds and now to us as well. In verses 10 to 12 it is written, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in, a city, in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And so the good news of Christmas is that the baby who was born wasn't just some baby, but was the Savior. And that Jesus the Savior was born, not just born, and not even just born to Mary and to Joseph, although by by adoption to Joseph, but born how? Verse 11, unto you. He wasn't just born, but born to us. He was born for our sakes, 
It is the same language that's found in the Messianic prophecy back in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 to 7, where we read the following. The King James Version puts it this way, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government, and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth ever, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So the birth of Jesus was the birth of the Savior. The birth of Jesus was the birth of the one who was and is Christ the Lord. As God spoke through the prophet Isaiah hundreds of years before the birth of Christ, the child who was born unto us, and the Son who was given unto us was none other than the Lord, the mighty God. Think about that. Only one who was fully God and fully man in one person could ever accomplish our redemption from sin. Our debt of sin is infinite because every sin is committed against an infinite and infinitely holy God. And yet only someone who is truly And really a man could die in the place of men. In the person of Jesus Christ alone are these things to be found. He is the only redeemer of God's elect. He is the only savior of sinners. And so the manger that we think of every Christmas, the manger that Luke emphasizes here in our text three times, the manger presupposes the cross for the purpose of the incarnation in the first place, was that Jesus might save his people from their sins. And how would he do that? By dying in our place and rising from the dead on the third day. So only in Jesus, by faith in him, can sinners like you and like me be rightly told, as the shepherds were told, to fear not. And only in Jesus is that great fear that sinners rightly feel in the presence of a holy God, in the presence of the glory of the Lord, as the shepherds had in verse 9. It's only in Christ that that great fear is replaced by the great joy of being redeemed by Christ, forgiven by God, reconciled to God, adopted by God in Christ, and destined for glory in heaven forever with the Lord. And so in closing, I have to ask you, do you know the real joy of Christmas? It's only in Jesus Christ that the great joy of forgiveness and eternal life is to be found. Come to him by faith and live. Amen.